0: as a mother wife and divorce attorney for over 15 years experience has taught me a lot about how to deal with times of uncertainty transition and facing opportunities for growth i'm happy you're joining me for this part of the journey when it comes to educating children one size does not fit all my guest here today is sharon ramage Sharon has spent her life dedicated to helping families, first as a social worker and then as an attorney. Her practice, the Ramage Law Group, focuses on helping families in transition, in divorce and other family law matters, but she also has expertise in the area of special education law. Sharon is here today to talk with us about special education and the law. Sharon, thank you so much for taking time to come be here with us today. Thank you so much, Jennifer, for having me. When we talk about special education law, there's a lot I don't know. And I want to start off by just asking you, what is special education? What are we talking about when we use that term?
1: Well, we're talking about services that are designed to meet kids where they are, you know, because one size doesn't fit all. Uh, To date myself a little bit, uh, when I grew up, special education was that room down the hallway that everybody tiptoed past. And that's really not the case. Um, Special education is, uh, the the law is called IDEA, I-D-E-A, and it's the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. And what it requires school districts to do is first find children who have disabilities, and because of those disabilities need some special help, specially designed instruction, but it requires them to develop individualized plans for them so we can help all kids obtain a meaningful educational benefit from their program. And uh, and it also requires that we respect them and that we honor them by educating them in the least appropriate envi- or the least restrictive environment that is appropriate for them. And so uh, that is special education in a nutshell. It's <laughs> find them, serve them, and Uh, implement that IEP, and uh, do it in the the place that is most appropriate for
0: them. So when I think there's some confusion about what constitutes a special need for a child. So you and I were talking about this earlier. Um, For example, like ADHD, is that a special need? Can be. Um, uh, The law
1: defines some very clear... Eligibilities is what we call them. We don't call them diagnoses, that's a medical term. Uh, but a lot of times children who have ADHD that uh, may qualify them to receive services under what we call other health impairment. But it runs the gamut. We have intellectual disabilities, uh, autism, a lot of different speci- specific learning dis- disabilities, whether that's in reading fluency, reading comprehension, math, math calculation. There. are Written, written expression, listening comprehension, so there are specific learning disabilities. Um, there is, of course, um, hearing impairment, visual impairment, uh, I think deaf-blind, I can't name all of them off the top of my head because that's, I don't have my book in front of me, <laughs> but we have a series of eligibilities that, first question is, does the child have a disability that qualifies them under this category? And because of this disability, do they require special education-related services?
0: So you said the the first step is find them. And so how does that usually come about? Is that parents thinking, identifying that there might be something wrong? Is that coming from a pediatrician or is that coming from the school? How, how, How do we go about knowing whether or not our child might have a special education need?
1: Well, it actually comes from all the above. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes children, uh, we know about their disabilities very early on. Uh, children with autism frequently very early on, and or children with some developmental disabilities, maybe they've been served by ECI, Early Childhood Intervention, and they then become eligible for special education related services as early as the age of three. Uh, and then there are some disabilities that don't necessarily become readily apparent until they're in school and you see that they're falling behind. Uh, And so sometimes a therapist may refer uh, you to an evaluation. Sometimes it may come from a pediatrician. Sometimes it may come from a teacher. Sometimes it may be your parental gut feeling. And everyone has the the right to go to their school and say, I think my child has some issues. I want a special education evaluation. And it's really important that they ask for that evaluation because it starts some timelines that schools have to comply with. And so, but it doesn't take proof that your child has a disability. It just takes suspicion that there is some sort of disability that is impacting this child's access to the educational system.
0: So if you're a parent and you have a feeling that something may not be quite right or something's different. Maybe it's not that's not quite right, but that there's that your child, you notice that your child's developing differently maybe than other children. What is your first step? Who who, do you, do you contact the school? What if your child's not yet in school? Well, if your child's not yet in school and your child is,
1: if your child's under three, of course you go through ECI. But if your child is, uh, so hold
0: on for just a second. So ECI, early childhood intervention. And is that, is that a, like an office within a school or how do you, how no, do you get a hold of ECI? Those are separate,
1: those are separate services, a separate agency and different agencies in different counties, uh, operate the ECI program. And typically that would be a pediatrician referral.
0: Okay, so do every county has an ECI? It should, mm-hmm. okay. or every region. All right, great, so good. I just wanna boil this down uh-huh. so we kind of walk through, how does this, you know, what does this look like? Um, and that's preschool age, but as early as three.
1: They can be served within the public school system, uh, depending on the disability. Sometimes you see children who have speech impairments that are receiving speech services uh, between the ages of three and when they start kindergarten. Sometimes these are children that have intellectual disabilities or that have uh, some other need. for specialized instruction very early on. And so as early as three, but if you suspect that your child has a disability, you go to your school and you ask for that evaluation because the school under federal law has a responsibility. Uh, it's called a child find responsibility and it's to get out there and find those children, identify the children who require special education services.
0: So is the school, um, is it, the, the public school that the child would be attending? Does it depend on which if the parents are separated and live in different school districts? How does that get decided? Um, it's the
1: child where the public school that the child could attend. So as we know, with divorced families, the child can attend the district where either parent resides. Uh, but it would be uh, the child, were, the school where the child would attend. If the child is in a private school, schools even have the responsibility to seek out and find and identify those children with disabilities that attend private schools within their borders. So, for example, I live up in McKinney, and we have plenty of private schools in McKinney. Well, they have an obligation to uh, locate those children, even within the private school system, to offer them an evaluation.
0: So, are the if a child is enrolled in private school, it is um, is the public school sending people out to go find the children? Or is usually the private school, there's some communication there's, and they, they, they'll they make the arrangement? There's typically
1: communication with the private school and the public school, and they all have um, child, fund, child find uh, drives that they do. I think you drive up and down 75 and there's a big child find billboard. I know at least in several places along the on the along the highway to alert the public that this we know we have to evaluate these children and we're evalu- available to evaluate. Now if your child is school age and you're in a private school uh, or you're on a homeschool, a homeschool is considered a private school so that duty to evaluate even extends to those children who are being homeschooled by their parents.
0: So when I hear the word evaluation I'm thinking big dollars. How how much does it cost for parents to have their child evaluated?
1: It has to be free.
0: <laughs> um,
1: we use a lot of acronyms in the world of special education, and one is called FAPE. That's Free Appropriate Public Education, and that means they evaluate these children without charging you, and they serve them without charging you. And if you get that evaluation back and you disagree with it, you're entitled to an independent educational evaluation. At the school's expense, and so a lot of people don't know that, and they don't, they think they're stuck with whatever the school has uh, come back with. If you disagree, maybe the school has said, "Well, we don't believe your child's eligible," but you really believe your child should be eligible. You ask for that independent evaluation, and the school has two choices: they either give it to you or they sue you. They file a due process complaint to defend their own evaluation. Typically, they're gonna offer you the independent evaluation.
0: So that raises my next question of when, when are parents contacting a special education lawyer? When do you come into play?
1: Well, unfortunately a lot of times it's, it's real late in the game and a lot's been lost, but I always encourage parents as early on, once your child is receiving services, arm yourself with knowledge, go to workshops, learn about the law, contact us. But if your child's being denied an evaluation, you can contact an attorney. If your child's not making progress and is falling behind and maybe the school's refusing to evaluate, contact an attorney. Uh, Or if your child is receiving services and you just don't think they're appropriate or your child is not making progress, you can contact an attorney. Or if they're proposing a placement that's not appropriate for your child. You can contact an attorney. Uh, Or you can file on your own. I wouldn't recommend it. (laughs) But uh, see, there is a process in place where people can actually file a complaint with TEA uh, and have a hearing officer. Uh, Most of those cases are heard by the State Office of Administrative Hearings now, but have a hearing officer serve as a judge in the case and then make a decision and tell the school district what it needs to do to fix it.
0: So what if the... Well, I want to back up for a second because, okay, you learn that your child has a special need. Mm-hmm. Um, the next thing I know, I think a lot of parents think the next step is to then, you know, get them in a private education environment that's tailored to meet those needs. But that's not necessarily the case. What, what is the school system obligated to, to provide for these kiddos? They're obligated to provide specially di-
1: designed instruction so the child will make a meaningful educational benefit and uh, and they can't remove them from the school because of the disability. A lot of people assume that they'll just go find a private school. And not a, private schools aren't obligated. They do not have to keep your child in their program. Uh, and this happens a lot with children with behavioral disabilities or developmental disabilities. Uh, and sometimes they're just not equipped. Some are. Um, Uh, but the school is obligated to provide that education. And if they don't have the ability to do it, they have to go out and find it for you. Uh, I have very many kids on my caseload that are placed in private day schools, residential treatment centers at the expense of the school because the school couldn't within their district serve the kids' needs.
0: So who is paying for... I I just want to stop because I think that's huge. It's so important for parents to know that, that there are so many resources that are available to them. If they need to consult with a lawyer, how do lawyer fees work if you're having to take a case, you know, to trial to, you know, force the school district to do what they're supposed to do?
1: Well, I don't think I'm that different from most lawyers that are in this field uh, that handle this. Uh, We do kind of modify our fees a little bit because the law says if we go to hearing and prevail, the parent is entitled to recover attorney's fees. It's a Um, private attorney general statute is what it's called. And so that gives a little bit of a hammer to the districts because they know if they go to a hearing and they lose, they're going to be paying my fees as well as their own. Um, And so I'm able to work with parents. So they're not paying as much as on the front end because I know we're going to be either negotiating at mediation or receiving fees on the back end.
0: Okay, so that's important to know too. Very important. And I would think if nothing else, if you're if you're in a situation where you just learned that your child has special needs, just consulting with a lawyer early on, just to Absolutely. pay an hourly, come in and just sit down and kind of know and learn your rights and get resources. So do you often meet with people just for an initial consultation?
1: We will meet with people to consult with them. Sometimes we will uh, coach them prior to their consultation um, we call them in Texas, ARD committee meetings. That's the, the meeting where the IEP is developed. Uh, perhaps even sometimes go to those meetings with the parents uh, if it helps them and, uh, and give them advice along the way. I also have a network of um, advocates and diagnosticians and uh, ABA therapists, any people that work within the field that I can refer people to.
0: So you just use an acronym, IEP. <laughs> I know it's hard not to talk an acronym. It is. Um, and so tell us, tell us what an IEP is, and other types of meetings that parents might be involved in when advocating for their child. Okay.
1: Well, an IEP is an individualized education plan, and that is the plan that is developed by the school officials and the parent uh, that is specific to the child's needs. It is designed to meet them where they are so they can um, have a meaningful educational benefit, which the Supreme Court has actually said that means you meet the child pretty much where they are. You uh, What is um, appropriately ambitious for this child to, based on the child's circumstances? And so that's an IEP. It, you have to have one every year, has to be done at least annually, can be done more frequently if there are changes within the year, but at a minimum a minimum annually, and it consists of school administrator, uh, evaluation personnel, a special education teacher, general education teacher, and the parent. The parent is a is a part of that committee and is required to be as a part of that committee. And so in Texas, they meet in what is called ARD committees. That's the admissions review and dismissal process. Uh, other parts of the country, they call it the IEP team, <laughs> but we call it the ARD committee in Texas. And that is the committee that convenes to, okay, identify where the child's the child is, what are their present levels of performance, and what types of goals do we have to adopt so the child can move and make progress between now and the
0: next year. Okay, and um, and both parents, do both parents need to be involved in this or just one parent? I would in- highly encourage both parents to be involved because
1: especially if you've got situations where uh, there are two families and two households, you've got to have parents on the same page. That's ideal, but um, one parent needs to be involved.
0: Okay. Well, this kind of leads me into my next question, which is, you know, the intersection of family Mm -hmm. law and education law, which is something you deal with every day. Yes. So what advice do you have if parents are not living together anymore, if they are separated? What advice do you have for families who um, have a special needs child?
1: Well, the first thing they need to do is make sure their order says that one parent has exclusive educational rights because it becomes a problem down the road if there isn't. That doesn't mean one parent is less than or one parent that is greater than, but you need to have that go to that can make those decisions. Cause you and I both know in, in- intact families, we all have our strengths mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, dealing with the, the lawn people might be my husband's strength. Dealing with the, the bank might be my husband's strength, but dealing with dealing with the educational system is mine. And so you need to have one parent make those decisions. And it's very important because if you get to a situation where you have the parents in disagreement, uh, unfortunately, the kid gets lost in the shuffle. And if there's no agreement, then the kid's not gonna get the services he potentially needs or potentially you need somebody that can stand their ground with the school as well. Because unfortunately, schools don't always do the right thing. And uh, you could end up in a situation where the school implements a program that may really not be good for the child. So you need that one person.
0: And I just that you brought up another point, which is how important it is for parents to be advocates in their child's education, that you can't just sit back and assume That the school isn't going to do what it's supposed to do.
1: No, we've got a crisis right now. Dallas ISD is they've just done a pretty big expose where they are years behind on their evaluations. And it's, you know, and several years when I stopped being a hearing officer um, and started representing parents, we were getting all of these calls. And I didn't understand it because schools were just refusing to evaluate kids, saying there was no educational need for an evaluation. Well, the educational need is answered by the evaluation, and I didn't understand it. Well, the Houston Chronicle did um, a pretty big expose on the entire system in Texas, and there was an un, not so unwritten cap of eight percent of the population in Texas, and Texas students were being served under, under the special education umbrella compared to about twelve to thirteen percent throughout the nation. And so what we found is there was an incentive to under-identify kids that has since stopped. We're still recovering from the effects of that, but we were way, way underrepresented. You had a lot of parents that had been asking for help, but they weren't getting their evaluations. And so you had kids that were going year after year after year Mm -hmm. behind. And so um, that's really important. The other thing that's really important to be an advocate is up until this last legislative session, there has been a one year statute of limitations. And if you think with your own children, you know, the better part of a school year goes by pretty quick before you even realize what's going on, right? You, your child could be falling further and further behind and you wouldn't know it. And you look up and the statute of limitations is almost gone. Well, fortunately, our legislature um, just passed a bill that uh, expanded the statute of limitations to two years, which is gonna be a big help to families because it gives us some breathing room to get in, figure out what's going on, and then actually hold schools accountable when they have failed. So uh, provided the governor does not veto it, it's going to be the law June 20th. So if not sooner, he signs it sooner.
0: That's great. I'm just thinking as you're talking about that, I mean, I know so often, you know, it isn't until you get through the first semester that you get a report card and you realize, oh, you know, things are not going so well. And that really doesn't give time at all to work through and see what's going on and try and get an assessment done and all of that. Well,
1: and even though the law requires that there be progress reports, according to the, the student's IEP goals, at least as frequently as what Regular reports are sent out. Sometimes those don't give you much information. It'll just be a check the box and it doesn't give a really good picture of what's going on with the kid. And so it's really important to stay on top of it. And two years is still not a long time, but it's better than one.
0: So tell me, Sharon, what are you? I know you don't have a crystal ball. At least I didn't see you bring one in today, but I'm just guessing you were coming off the heels of the pandemic with kids that are being schooled at home. What what are you anticipating in terms of kiddos who maybe, I mean, have gone a year and a half without? Well, we're already seeing the effect of that.
1: Um, uh, I will tell you, I took in more cases uh, in April of 2021 than I did between March of 2020 and March of 2021. It was that it's like once the mask mandate was lifted and we really realized everybody is going back to school. People are waking up and they're very angry because they see how far their child is behind. We had kids not getting evaluations. We had kids not getting any services or, I mean, I've even had families where they're typically developing children who are in regular education classes were getting daily Zoom classes and they were on on Zoom pretty much most of the day and getting the same work. They'd always gotten where the disabled child got nothing Mm -hmm. but a box dropped off for them with parents that have no but they're not special educators and so you have a population of kids that has received no services for a year so that's why it's really important right now that that statute of limitations has been expanded because prior to a couple of weeks ago when this passed out of the legislature several of us were most of us in the field were really concerned because we're coming up on that one year almost being over, and uh, so, but now we have these kids that are, hopefully, we can get some help to them, Um, and that comes in the form of compensatory services. One of the things we ask for when we um, file a case against the school district is not only for them to fix the program going forward, but what's it going to take to get this child back to where they should have been had you been doing what was appropriate for the child all along, so that's called compensatory services, and sometimes that's, extra tutoring. Sometimes it's some summer programs. Sometimes it's a fund for the parent to go out and get some services themselves. So compensatory is actual
0: money being paid to help provide additional resources. It's
1: actually additional services. Sometimes it comes in the form of funds to provide it for the parents, but it's uh, the statute is not a money damages statute, but sometimes money buys those services. Um, And sometimes we... Depending on how bad it is, what you're doing to fix it going forward may be kind of a combination of compensatory services and what the kid needs now. So if uh, for example, kids that are require a residential treatment center because because maybe they're, they're dis not only does their disability require it, but they've deteriorated because of lack of services, that would be a situation where maybe, the focus is more on what we're gonna do going forward with this new program and the new placement rather than the, than the compensatory services.
0: I wanna go back for just a minute and talk about something that I think is really important for people to understand and that is the education rights. So when you do have a family who is you know, dividing households um, whether through divorce or separation, there are those rights and duties that are allocated that mm-hmm. you and I are very familiar with. And one of them is the right to make education decisions. And I think most of the time, you know, I have thought, well, you know, that's the right to decide where the child's going to school. But it impacts so much more than just the decision of where the child's going to school. Can you can you share with us a little bit about practically speaking what that right to make education decisions can mean for a parent?
1: Oh, it can mean so much. It can mean, you know, agreeing or disagreeing with a child's educational goals. Um, I had a case not too long ago where the child really did need to be in a residential treatment center. And one of the things that we have the ability under the law to do is to go withdraw the kid from school and put the, the, the school on notice that, hey, you've messed up. What you've done is not appropriate. We're going to go place ourselves, and we're, then we're going to file a complaint with with TEA, and we're going to ask you to reimburse us. Um, we couldn't do that because both parents weren't in agreement, mm-hmm. and and they had joint educational decisions. And so and so this kid kept getting further and further behind, deteriorating further till we could get it all straightened out. One parent needs to be the one to make those educational decisions because it can impact uh, educational services. It can impact whether the child receives speech services. It can impact whether the child uh, is even identified as a child with a disability. Um, There is an Office of Special Education Programs letter uh, from several years ago that talked about what do you do if both parents have independent rights? And one parent agrees with this evaluation that says this kid has autism and needs special education and the other one doesn't and then just revokes services. And kind of the general comment within the guidance was that the right to revoke those services is greater than the right to take them or to accept them. And so until they, those people had to go to court, <laughs> fight it out in family court then to figure out who gets that decision. So it is very important, especially I'll have people a lot of times say, well, the kid's only free. We don't need to worry about this now. But a lot of times those disabilities do not become apparent until the child's in school. So it's very important. Just designate one. It, it's, it's really important.
0: And if you're concerned, you know, if the other parent has been the one who's, you know, kind of taken the lead, like you said, that's sort of their, that was in their basket was education rights. I mean, you're worried about them, you know, going off and doing things. You can, you can have an exclusive right that requires consultation or notice the other person. First. Absolutely. So that way, at least, you know, you're being apprised and kept it and being mm-hmm. notified. And if there is something you disagree with, then you have an opportunity to, to, take it to court and get the judge to do something if there's some damage going to be done to your child.
1: But meanwhile, somebody needs to be able to make the decisions in a trench. And a lot of times I've seen even people try to make uh, tiebreakers. Mm. That's a disaster. (laughs) First of all, they're not even going to be a consensus member of the ARD committee. You've got the law has specific individuals that are actually, and it's not really a vote, but decision-makers within the school. And the parent is one of them, not the school counselor down the street, not the minister, not, you know, you don't wanna actually turn that, all of that decision-making over to the school. And and so it, it really, the buck needs to stop with one of them.
0: That's great, great information. Um, and I think it's, it's- one of that is certainly um, I'm hearing and th- that will, will impact um, going forward you know, future cases. It's my soapbox. (laughs) Um, How did you get involved in special education? Well, I was a social
1: worker before I went to law school. And I actually was a child abuse uh, social worker, worked for CPS and went to law school and was uh, a prosecutor. But during one of my summers, I clerked for a law firm in Fort Worth that represented school districts. So when I kind of got to the point at the DA's office, it was time to go do something different. Uh, I called the lawyer that I'd worked with there. And I said, I think I want to do school law because I had narrowed it down to these two areas. So what do I do? And she said, well, Sharon, I think you should try special education. I had no idea what it was. I'm like, okay, well, who do I talk to? And so uh, she introduced me to another lawyer who still practices special education law representing parents. I went Met with her, she connected me with some other people. I met with some advocates. I left my job at the DA's office and I got a bunch of books. And I had enough money to last for 90 days. And I thought I would go sit in my office and just read and get really knowledgeable in 90 days. And then I'd start taking cases. And that lasted three days. (laughs) And so uh, I represented parents. Then I went to work for a firm that's local representing school districts. And when I left that firm and went back out on my own, started representing parents again, but I knew about the hearing officer system. So I thought, you know, this would be an area where I could make an impact. And so I uh, applied for and received an appointment as a special education hearing officer and did that for almost 14 years. And. Loved it, really liked I sat as the judge on these cases, made decisions, and really felt like I could have an impact. But you're the impact is so limited because you're tied to what the, your decision as a decision maker is only as good as the information that the parties bring to you. And so I was seeing a real there is a shortage of attorneys that represent parents. So I left my hearing officer gig and and started representing parents back in 2015 and have ever since. It's a very good complement to special education uh, or to family law and special education. Complement each other well because there are overlaps and the dynamics are very similar.
0: And I imagine there's a real reward in getting in seeing parents through the process and seeing them get the help their child needs.
1: There is. Um it can be a little disheartening at times too, uh, because sometimes it's impossible to undo, your, undo years worth of damage. But my mantra in my office is, "Our job is to leave them in a better position than they were when they came to it, when they came to us." And so maybe the answer for the last two or three years of a child's school career is they are in a more intensive day program, and they're going to. They're, are they ever going to catch fully up? Probably not, but we can make a whole lot of headway and get them into a better position, and that's that's what I do. I love what I do.
0: Uh, what what hope do you have for parents who maybe have just learned that they have a child with special needs? What what message would you give them?
1: Oh well, first of all, you're not alone. There are get in touch with. Any support group, whether your child has autism, your child has learning disabilities, your child has dyslexia, or your child uh, is intellectually disabled, whatever your child's disability is, there are support groups for you. Get into those and educate yourself. It seems overwhelming and you're going to seem and feel like you're outnumbered when you go meet with the school. But knowledge is power, so arm yourself with it. Go arm yourself with that power and be your child's advocate. Uh, That's the best thing you can do because there is hope for you. If you can advocate for your child, there's hope for your child. And, you know, um, all children have the right to be respected, to be honored, and to have the same advantages and access to education as their typically developing peers. Whether they're disabled, whether they're typically developing, they all have that right. And so there are people here to help you make sure that your child's right is honored.
0: That is such an important message. Thank you so much for taking Thank time you. to come and visit with us today. If you want to learn more information about the Ramage Law Group um, or Sharon and her practice, we will include links to that below and hope you will follow up. Thank you.
1: Thank you.